Welcome to another episode of You Belong in AI. This podcast is made possible by UCLA ACM AI Outreach. My name is Arjun Sibramonian, and today my co-host is Maya Rahman. Dr. Chanel Fischetti is the Chief Medical Officer at Centaur Labs, a startup which labels medical image datasets at scale and on-demand to enable medical breakthroughs. She's also an emergency room physician at Lawrence Memorial Hospital. While she currently works clinically at several hospitals now because of the COVID-19 pandemic, she'll be starting in a teaching role at Brigham and Women's Hospital in the fall in anticipation of bringing more medical entrepreneurship into the curriculum. Some fun facts about Chanel, she ran track while at USC and her brother ran track at UCLA. In her free time, Chanel loves to surf. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so when, before we start with some stuff about you know, what your current job is and your role at Centaur Labs, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background. So what inspired you to pursue AI or ML or data science? And did you major in CS, statistics, or some related field in university? Yeah, thanks for having me. Good questions. Um, so, so my path's a little bit of an aberrancy from the norm. I'm an ER doctor by training, so I have my medical degree. Um, but I fell into AI accidentally because my because of my interest in app and business development and medicine. Um, and I actually didn't even realize I had that interest until late into med school. We had this app jam competition where they paired medical students with CS students. And the whole goal of that was to design an app for an autism population. And before that, I had never really had any exposure to CS um, at all. And I love that we could solve problems within medicine with technology that's available. Um, and so by the time I had realized this interest, I was about to start residency. In hindsight, I, it would have been great to have any sort of CS or AI background. Um, in college, I double majored in neuroscience and sociology, so I didn't, I didn't really have any more technical degree. But um, you know, you can't always anticipate the twists and turns your career is about to take. Um, but you know, at my current company, they have been awesome in catching me up to speed. And uh, sometimes experience can be the best teacher. So that was like, you know, for me, the case. It's really great that you participated in like the CoJam competition while in med school. Were there other opportunities for med school students to explore the intersections between technology and medicine? You know, now, I mean, since I was a medical student and and basically since then, I think they've been integrated almost universally across many med schools. Um, I know of a bunch in Boston that we were, were in the in the fall even. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's more common now for sure to have these opportunities because I think, you know, we all realize that if we can collaborate, so much more can be achieved together. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of these uh, med school programs, it's great that they're in integrating more technology because technology definitely enables outreach to a wider population. So a lot of the stuff that doctors and med school students are doing is great work, but unfortunately, Currently, without you know a large use of technology, it's not able to reach everyone who needs these services. And speaking about you know the diversity of your outreach as a doctor, um, I was wondering if we could maybe shift gears quickly to talking about representation and diversity within, particularly the CS community and the and the medicine community. So when you were a student, um, you know at USC or when you were a student uh, at, or a med school student at UCI, did your universities CS community or med medicine community suffer from a lack of representation of diverse backgrounds and experiences? And if applicable, in what ways was it challenging to be a woman in medicine and later on, I guess, in, in AI? Yeah, those are, those are good questions. You know, I think medicine has been really um, aware of trying to create a really diverse 
opportunity for all students. And so I think they really, really seek a diverse population for that reason. And so in general, my medical school class seemed pretty 50-50 in terms of men and women. In terms of racial diversity, I think they really strive for that as well. And I think that's true of, of most medical schools. And I would say, you know, I'm sure that's true of most undergrad universities too. Um, specifically, you know, as I've, you know, aged into my actual career now, um, I have found that being a female in, in medicine, but specifically in tech and medicine, so in this field of like CS AI, while I'm not CS trained, I am one of the few I've noticed at conferences or even in publications that is both medically trained and you know now AI trained from from the experiences I've had. And so I, I I definitely go out of my way to kind of mentor those opportunities. We have interns that come through our company all the time. Um, I work at a company called Centaur Labs and um, we have female interns come in all the time. We have interns from all over the world come in. Um, we have an intern from China actually this summer. Um, but we've had interns from all over come in and, and that's one of the things we really promote at our company. Um, we're a huge believer in a diversity of opinion and, and the diversity and wisdom of a crowd being the most advantageous um, source of an answer. And so for us in particular, championing um, diversity and inclusion within AI is, is a really big part of what we do. That's really awesome to hear. We uh, at UCLA ACMA at Outreach, we definitely believe that if you don't have a diverse group of people working on a problem, then you're not going to be able to positively impact every single person in society. Like we, the way we try to go about making sure that every team that you know, works in AI, works in tech, is super diverse and can build equitably performing products is by starting at the youth level. So when we go to high schools, we hope to inspire students to pursue AI and CS later on before any of these barriers, like, you know, leader classes and seeing a lack of representation of, you know, their own identities and backgrounds and the people around them starts to have a detrimental effect on their passions and their desire to pursue these different fields. So kind of going off of that, why do you think representation is important, especially in CS and AI, and even at the university level? So, you know, it's obviously very important, like you mentioned, as an, as an employee at Centaur Labs. But do you think representation is, when do you think representation should be kind of enforced or I guess like promoted from what age? And do you think representation has improved in fields such as CS and AI over the past couple of decades to you know, the best of your knowledge? And do you think it's any easier to be a woman in these fields nowadays? Um, I, you know, I, I can't speak to the CS background. Um, the AI world, I'm, I'm definitely new to and I, I think I think there are definite efforts to make that more equitable and diverse, um, but could we always be doing a better job? Definitely. In terms of when to begin that, um, I mean, ideally the earlier the better, right? We all wanna be, I mean, the, the best individuals are those that have taken multiple experiences from, from a variety of experiences, variety of people, and who have almost a very like worldly representation and viewpoint. Um, you know, I, I think they tend to be the most open-minded individuals and the most tolerant too. So for many reasons, that's important. Um, I think just from a working environment in general, I think it's important that you feel welcome in any environment and um, that you feel comfortable around the people that you work with. And, um, you know, for some who currently work in AI or CS, maybe that's not the case. Um, like maybe, you know, maybe it's time to career change. But for others, you know, if your company's not there, but if they're open to it, 
sometimes those are amazing opportunities to make change within your own environment. Um, and so, you know, finding those mentors or finding people who can champion you into those roles or into those opportunities can be a, a huge part of your development, but also the promotion and creation of diversity within your company or your, your educational experience. Um, so I guess in general, the earlier, the better. Um, and, you know, more ideas is, is always a good thing in terms of, you know, having different viewpoints can really enhance those. Um, I think just outcomes and, and projects moving forward. Yeah, we 100% agree. Kind of going off of the idea you had where you said that we should have as many mentors as possible, these role models that youth can look up to and see that people like them are in these fields and these people can help open up opportunities to these aspiring individuals. We actually had a guest, um, and this is like, he's featured in our second episode. And when he talks about uh, you know, his work as an NLP engineer at Amazon, he says that whenever he gets an email from like a queer PhD student, he really tries his best to advocate for their success, for them to be able to come in to work. He tries to fight for their success. You know, he, he really wants to see people of all backgrounds represented. And he said, one other thing he suggested, one really good way to improve mentorship and see the visibility of role models is like at conferences, when you have these workshops, you can have workshops tailored towards specific groups where they discuss papers that are completely oriented towards combating, for example, bias in natural language. And so do you think that in, along this idea, do you think uh, that's an example of an improvement that you'd like to see within AI? And what other improvements would you want to see in the field? Bias is an interesting subject matter, particularly for us as a company, um, because, you know, you could label data or you could clean data. Um, you know, Google and large companies like Amazon have this issue where you, you segment a population, right? You show them a thousand images of something. And if you ask that same crowd who may be more homogenous than maybe, you know, another crowd that they could have chosen that's more diverse, you could bias your data and bias your AI algorithms because of the crowd that you selected. And so, um, you know, biased, talking about that within data is one thing, um, but then also talking about that, you know, from the company standpoint of like, how do you pick your employees? Who do you employ? And, and taking it to the point of like, this is exactly why we're talking here today is making it, making an effort to include or, or to be diverse as a company is a really important part. And I think mentorship does play a part of that. I think being at a company, I feel very fortunate. I'm at a very forward thinking company. I have great bosses and they really support diversity and they work really hard to achieve that, both in the individuals they employ and also in the thinking at the company. Um, we have a, one of our core values is that every voice counts. Um, as I mentioned, all of us are from all over. And so um, I, I think that's a really important role to have just at, at any company or even an educational system that, that every voice counts. That means from wherever you're from, your opinion and your viewpoint is, is an important one. Um, and so I think from how can we as mentors moving forward champion this into our educational opportunities that we promote, um, you know, I, I think when you start to sit on the level of like a PI in a research paper or, you know, the head of a lab or the head of a company, for example, um, you know, hiring talent from a variety of backgrounds, whether or not they're technically even um, educated enough or have the experiences that you would have hoped, giving people the benefit of the doubt and the opportunity is a huge part of that, I think. Um, taking on people who you see potential in, even if they're not there is a huge part of that. 
Um, and so I think, you know, I think a lot of companies really go out of their way to pr promote that, you know, um, and I think just keeping those, those factors in mind, whether you're an applicant applying to an internship or applying to a company for a job, seeking out employers who are thinking like that, but then also you as the employer um, can also be thinking in, you know, in conjunction with that same thought. Um, I think that's how we make changes moving forward. Um, but, you know, I think in, in 2020, people are far more forward thinking than they have been in decades past. Um, so I think we're, we're making progress, but there can always be better. Um, as, as we mentioned, I think, you know, we definitely can see more women within AI and CS. Um, and I think, you know, finding those right mentors is, a, I think, something to achieve and look forward to, but also, you know, a guiding light of like, okay, how did this person do it? Maybe like you take a page out of their book and figure out, okay, I, I too can do it. Yeah, definitely. I, I really love everything you said there. I think it's, again, just to summarize, like it's very, it's very important to have these mentors for multiple reasons, like just to have you have these opportunities opened up and to really see them as guiding lights, kind of a signal that, yeah, you can do it too, that I can really achieve my, my passion and all these ideas and making sure that we're hiring from a diverse pool of people and really trying to see, look into and, or just tap into the potential of individuals rather than just looking at kind of these cold, hard abilities that they might have is super important. So now I'm gonna um, transition a little bit, shift gears into uh, kind of your background with regards to what you've been doing since you graduated from university. So if you could talk about um, any projects that you've worked on, if you could also discuss like, I know that you're a first responder in this current pandemic. So if you could talk about your experience with that and then discuss like what you hope to achieve very soon. You know, in the intro, you, were t you mentioned that you're going to start a medical entrepreneurship course at uh, Brigham soon. So if you could talk about that as well, that'd be great. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, so I, I'm emergency medicine. I trained at Duke for residency and then I did a, an ultrasound fellowship at UC Irvine with Dr. Fox. Um, and halfway through my fellowship, I started at my current company, Centaur Labs, and it was, we basically clean large data sets at scale through this idea of collectogence or Centaur intelligence. And um, I couldn't have been any luckier. Like I love both of my jobs. Um, you know, before I found this, this mix and match, I was a little burned out from medicine and I've loved this kind of harmony that I have found within my career. So before COVID-19, I was practicing about four to seven days clinically a month. I work at um, a few community sites. One is Greenwich Hospital right now and one is Lawrence Memorial. And they're both through the Yale healthcare system. Um, and I normally live in Boston because I, I was working three weeks of the, of the month at my company and then just doing a week clinically to keep up my skills. But in the current pandemic, I kind of live out of hotels right now. And um, <laughs> I, I stay at my partner's house when I, you know, I need to do laundry or when I have a few days off and I'm working for the company. Um, but it's, you know, it's been an interesting experience because we as a company are, you know, being in medical AI, it's such a relevant field right now. Um, we've put together data sets through, um, through partnerships with Kaggle and, um, and Radiopedia, trying to kind of disseminate images of what we think, you know, you know what, Ka what Kaggle has basically gathered together to demonstrate how COVID looks on CT or chest x-ray imaging. 
So it's been interesting to spend like my clinical days on the front line, like intubating people and patients and like educating them as the physician. But then on my days off, I work for my company and I'm working almost like on the, on the offense. So, you know, trying to educate people, trying to prevent the spread, trying to educate our clinicians or data scientists into, you know, what I'm seeing from a clinician standpoint, but also like how we're trying to contribute as a, as a medical AI company. So um, I, I feel like I, I couldn't have been luckier to have these opportunities. Um, clinically, it's been quite exhausting. It's been some of the, the more exhausting work that I've done basically since residency. I've had a lot of really hard intubations, a lot of end of life conversations. Um, almost all of the patients I see in Greenwich are COVID positive. Um, so it's been an, a life-changing experience for sure. Um, but it also motivates me, you know, so when, when I'm working at my company, I'm so motivated to improve what we have for AI, um, especially medical AI and whether that means algorithms in the future or, or accurate data sets. That's, that's such a motivator for me. Um, and, and what that means for the future, you know, I think, I think this pandemic's really exposed a lot of healthcare, both good and bad. Um, and I think we could sit and criticize so many things all day, but I think there are a lot of good things. And I think what you're finding is that there's a lot of physicians out there, um, and I'll speak from a physician standpoint, that have a lot of really great ideas, but maybe don't have access or knowledge of how to translate those. And for me, I felt so lucky falling, falling into this AI world because I have a company and a job that allows me to say, hey, I see this every single day at work on the front line. Like, let's go back and translate this into technology because it's so easy to kind of shape shift at work and say, okay, we tried this today, didn't work, let's try this tomorrow. Um, which can be a little bit harder in academics because you know, sometimes you have to go through IRB systems or you know, the, ac the academic setting can, can function so much more just slowly compared to a business setting. And so it's been incredible to see kind of the leaps and bounds that we can make. Um, but for that reason, I feel really, really fortunate to have this opportunity to go kind of dip my toe back into academics and start working at Brigham and women's because, you know, ideally what will happen moving forward is we start like a mini entrepreneurship, uh, a medical entrepreneurship course there. And um, to me, that's meaningful because when I was graduating um, as both a med medical student and a resident, um, I think there's a lot of us who are in medicine, whether we're female or minorities or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe you do want to patent something. Maybe you have an idea and you want to turn it into research, or maybe you want to start at a company and not having the business background personally and knowing a lot of colleagues that have said and echoed the same sentiments. Um, I think we really need to empower our physicians who, you know, see these things all the time and maybe really know or have good ideas for change. And I think um, empowering them with tools to be their own entrepreneurs or to be their own advocates within their community. Um, I think that can really translate a lot in the same way that I believe these app jam competitions between CS students and medical students or residents and CS students are so important. You know, marrying these two communities, I think are really going to help us progress forward in medicine and technology because you know, you can only do so much working in parallel. And um, I, I think, you know, this experience and this dual career that I've kind of somehow shaped from a variety of opportunities that just happened to fall into my lap um, is the perfect example of it. But I, I would not be here without good mentors. And so that's why I think this all circles back to, 
you know, good mentorship and people advocating for you and championing you, even if you don't think that you're qualified or ready to do it. Um, and that's why I think diversity and more females and, you know, the right people who really know how to champion after those are, are so important in AI and CS in, in technology and medicine moving forward. Wow, I just wanted to say thank you so much, first of all, for being a first responder. Like your work means so much to everyone in this country. And, you know, it's really great to hear from someone who's on the front line um, every day talking about kind of, I guess, one, the struggles that you have to undergo to really stay in the field. And two, like particularly in your case, all the amazing ways in which you're integrating what you're seeing every day with the technological work that's going on at Centaur Labs. Like that's something that is not really talked a lot about within AI and machine learning communities. We tend to kind of have the separation between people who are just doing strictly like very theoretical AI and machine learning and people who are just kind of like loosely applying AI and machine learning to these, you know, other fields like these interdisciplinary applications. But it, we don't really talk so much about the back and forth. Like we actually have people who have knowledge, domain knowledge in both areas and are able to take everything they're seeing and dynamically shape our machine learning models. So yeah, again, thank you. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, I, you know, I feel just so lucky to have this opportunity and I won't pretend to be an AI expert at all, but just like everyone else, you know, all it takes is a willingness to learn and a readiness to put yourself in that position, um, whether you're ready or not. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the idea of like, why not me, you know, just because I don't know enough or just because I don't feel confident enough or I don't feel like I have the background, why, why not me? Um, you know, had you asked me a year ago, I would have never guessed that this is where I would be, but here I am. And, um, you know, who knows who this will inspire in the future because, you know, they just happen to listen to your podcast and, um, you know, hopefully we all can just promote that butterfly effect moving forward. I absolutely love the way you think like that, just like, you know, the why not me? I think that's a great message to keep in your mind all the time. I think a lot of students have a lot of reasons for why it can't be them. But then if you just say like, why not me? And then you, you end up actually like thinking about it, you realize I de it definitely could be me. Like I am smart. I'm capable. I really can get to where I want to be. And you're a great example of that. So I really hope anyone who does listen to this podcast here's your message and really feels like they can succeed in this field. Absolutely. That doesn't come without failure though. <laughs> There's always failure involved, but that doesn't mean, you know, you pick yourself up, you know, fall down seven, get up eight. So. Yeah. It's also very important to keep in mind. I think like a lot of students when they failure can really aggravate like the sense of imposter syndrome or the fact that they, every, every example that you might fall down, you might think maybe I'm not cut out for this, but you know, just again, hearing you say that you've fallen out multiple times, but you are where you are today is kind of like, you know, you, you're, you're a quote unquote, the guinea pig, like you survived, you made it through and you're thriving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, and that's why I think mentorship is so important. And, and even if you feel like you don't have mentorship, keep looking, keep seeking out. And maybe your mentor is not even in your same field. Maybe you, you admire them because of the way that they go after their career or the way they lead their personal life or the way they find educational opportunities. You know, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist.
Yeah, definitely. Thank you again. So I just wanted to also say that I really love the idea of this like medical entrepreneurship course, just kind of tying this back into the beginning of our conversation. You know, medicine, again, needs to be super accessible, but without people who have this medical domain knowledge, um, having also information about how they can patent their what they're creating, have, you know, reasons to invent and to continue innovating for everyone to maybe integrate medicine with technology, you know, it becomes, it becomes really hard to actually reach everyone. So I'm glad that you're bringing the medical entrepreneurship course to, to the, uh, to Brigham and Women's Hospital. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully the opportunity goes well. We'll see. There's been a lot of change in medicine. So hopefully there's still room for that. So I'm going to, it's going to be kind of a transition, but not, not exactly too far away from talking about Centaur Labs. So I was just wondering for maybe people who want to potentially intern at Centaur Labs, if you could just talk about the workplace culture, what your favorite part about working there is, maybe one, one or two specific instances where you've integrated your you know, frontline knowledge about this terrible pandemic into making the uh, models or data sets that you work with. And I also want you to talk a little bit about uh, your office manager, Doug, who's a golden doodle. <laughs> Oh yes, Doug. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I I love my company. I I couldn't say enough great things about that uh, about them and and them as individuals too. My the the company started. We we went through Y Combinator, and the three founders are have been friends for a long time. Eric, who's our CEO, did his PhD at MIT um, in kind of collective intelligence. And um, he's kind of handpicked each of us. Um, I'd say we're, we're basically 50-50 male to female at this point, um, but we do host a variety of interns, whether that's for you know, winter term or even summer. We have a lot of summer, summer interns coming in, although it may be a little bit more remote now. But um, what I love about our, our office and company culture, and honestly, I left academics for this job, so I, I took a huge risk in that, and I couldn't have been happier in doing it. Um, you know, everyone just comes from, you know, different parts of the country, different states. Um, you know, our data scientist is originally from India. Our, uh, we have an intern this summer from China. We've had people intern from kind of all over the, the world at this point. Um, people from all segments of the United States as well. Um, but I think that's really led us to, to think about the problem of big, label, big data labeling. Um, from a diversity of both opinions and experiences too. And so um, that's been a huge benefit for us as a company. As a culture, I think it's pretty laid back. Um, it's very different than medicine in that way. You know, we walk around with slippers sometimes. Um, not always though, because Doug will take them off our feet. Doug's our, our little office manager. He's a Eric's golden doodle and he's bought, brought a lot of um, kind of lightness to the office too. So. He kind of walks around and like welcomes you know people to our office and everything so it's been it's been a great culture and company and um if if you are interested in, in uh interning with us um feel free to reach out to us our company is centaurlabs.com we we label through a platform called diagnosis and you can find that on the apple itunes store but um yeah feel free to reach out to to myself or to eric um, my email is Chanel, C-H-A-N-E-L, at centaurlabs.com. Um, we'd be happy to hear from you, even if you try our app and have good or bad feedback. Um, every, every voice counts for us. So that's been, that's been a really important part of our progress as a company.
Awesome. Um, so I was wondering if you could, before I hand um, the hosting off to Maya for the latter half of the interview, I was wondering if you could talk really quickly about what exactly a chief medical officer is and what their role is. I know that that might vary depending on which company you're a part of. And also, again, with regards to how you're helping integrate your new discoveries, you know, being on the front line um, as a responder for this pandemic with what the data scientists at the company are working on. Um, that'd be great to hear. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, my opinion is just my experience. So I, I don't know, this might be different for somebody else who's a, a CMO somewhere else. But what I do daily at work um, is, is mostly, I kind of, I kind of fuse almost like an academic with a clinical background. So I'll go through the data sets um, if there's clinical questions that need to be asked. So I'll do a lot of case review. Um, if I don't know the answer to it, we'll find a provider who does know the answer to it. Um, also inherently part of that process is we do a lot of research at our company um, with the data science and the data that we do process through. Um, we, we do try to publish a lot. So I, I have a, a sub, a smaller group of med students that work with me. Um, and so we will put together research papers um, based on the data sets that we do process through. So that's been a really fun part. Um, so it's almost very academic from that standpoint. And then the other part is I do a lot of grant writing. We just submitted an NIH grant with Stanford, the Stanford Amy Lab, and then um, Jeremy, Dr. Jeremy Wolf's Visual Attention Lab at the Brigham. And so we're waiting to hear back about that, but grant writing has been a large part of that. So my role's for the most part grant writing, um, research and publication and academic, and then also case review or um, you know facilitating discussions between you know potential customers or clients or trying to translate their projects into what we can do as a company. Um, so that's that's been my experience um, in terms of clinically. Um, you know, oftentimes what'll happen is we'll have customers who let's say are private companies or hospital systems, and they'll come to us with a data set and they'll say, hey, I have, you know, 100,000 images or I have 10,000 images of, you know, skin cancer lesions, like, can you help us clean it? And what's been really fun is sometimes the people or oftentimes the, these, these individuals who come to us don't necessarily know the question they want asked. And so we almost act as like a PI in helping them refine what they want their task to be in terms of how they want to clean their data. And so that's been also um, a really cool opportunity for me because it's almost like you get to function as the PI and kind of encourage people down one route or another in terms of like what would be the, you know, the best opportunity for them with the data they have. It's awesome that you're helping so many people see the potential in their data and their like potential applications of AI. So I'm going to transition uh, hosting control to Maya, who will talk to you about again your interest in AI and what your message is to all our listeners. Yeah, um, hello. So actually before we kind of transition to the next question, I just wanted to ask a couple questions about Centaur Labs. Um, first of all, uh, what is kind of the background of maybe some of your coworkers at Centaur Labs? Are people all from, not all, are a lot of people from the medical field? Do a lot of people come from data science? kind of what is the background of people there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, we're small. We actually just hired three new members. Um, but so we have three co-founders. Eric, I mentioned he's a, a PhD. 
um, from MIT and Zach, who's our other co-founder, he's actually an English major from Brown and a self-taught um, coder. So very impressive. Um, he's our, our CTO. And then Tom is our other, our third co-founder and he's the VP of engineering. And he used to work at Sidecar way long ago and ran all of, you know, all of that back end for them. So he's very experienced. Um, I'm the only medical person actually on the team right now. Um, we do have medical students. I have a, several medical students that work with me at UC Irvine, um, and then also one at Tufts. And um, they they help me do some of the medical research, or you know, if we have other medical tests that I can't do at that moment, they'll help. They'll do some of that. We have um, Simon and Gia, who are uh, Gia trained at MIT, but she's a software engineer. Simon's self-taught as well in terms of um, iOS engineering. And Nott's from India. Um, he is a data scientist and, and trained at North, Northeastern and did his master's there. And Kira um, is an, our, our amazing product manager. She's also like taught herself code as well. Um, we're all obviously in Boston right now, but we've come from different parts of, of the world. She is originally from South Korea and Nott's from India, I mentioned. Um, Tom's from, kind of back east-ish, currently in California, and the boys are from back east, and Kira's from Texas, so I'm from California. So we kind of, for being so small, we're actually from kind of a lot of places, which I think we're really proud of. Um, and, uh, you know, when we hire, um, we, we look for kind of diversity too, because we don't, we don't want to all look the same, um, be, mostly because we, we want to make sure we have a diversity of thought um, so we can continue to progress as a company. Yeah, that's really cool that especially the what C CTO majoring in English, I think that's really cool. I think anyone that majors in English is cool. Kind of more for my curiosity, but also for our listeners who may not be familiar, um, kind of getting more into the technical side, what does cleaning the data look like? Do you guys kind of like hand pick uh, good data, bad data? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I probably should have mentioned that earlier. So we have, we have, we call, we're almost like a dual facing company. So Centaur Labs is, you know, what we say, when, like where we work, we say we work at Centaur Labs. And that's kind of the customer side. So if hospitals or, or companies want to come to us with the data, they go to Centaur Labs. How we clean the data is through an application called Diagnosis. And it's an app I mentioned on the iOS store. But what we do is we take this customer data and we put it on the app. And what we'll do is, let's say somebody has 10,000 x-ray, chest x-rays. So we'll put the 10,000 chest x-rays on the app and we'll run competitions. So anyone in the world can download this app and they can compete whether or not they have any medical background or not, which tends to scare people when they first hear it because they're like, wait, why are you letting just anybody look at images? But um, as mentioned, we're really interested in the wisdom of the crowd or a diverse diversity of opinion. And so what happens is we will show known labels or known gold standard images to the crowd. So we'll run competitions with hundreds or thousands of images. And what will happen is the user on the diagnosis app will see, you know, oh, this is a normal chest x-ray. Um, and for some of those images, we don't necessarily tell them that we know the answer. We're trying to test their reliability and their trustworthiness as a user. And so through that process, by seeing images that are labeled or that are not labeled, they help us clean through data through that way. 
So it functions kind of similar to Mechanical Turk. It's just that we've gamified it in a way that's kind of fun and also somewhat educational depending on the task. Wow, that's, that's really cool. That comes from Eric's PhD thesis and research. So this is all like based on, on actual data and research too. Like crowdsourcing, it makes it better? Yeah, yeah, this collective intelligence approach. So it's not, it's, it's actually rooted in science. So that's, that's another benefit too. That's really cool. Um, okay, so now moving on to the next question. Uh, you talked a little bit about the kind of the best way to learn about AI is through experience. So can you describe maybe some of your experiences, how you picked up AI in the beginning? And then also um, now, how do you navigate picking up important concepts? Yep, my, you know, I, I would be the last person to call myself an expert, um, but I guess any experience in medicine sometimes can be more than no experience. And so um, when I came into this whole world of AI, I, I really only had you know, a background in ultrasound imaging and I fell into this mostly because of my experiences previously working on apps, a specific app that was actually quite similar to what we do at this company. And um, my company and my colleagues have been huge and instrumental in my education in AI. Um, but there's also been a large uh, amount of effort on my part where I am constantly reading, whether that's like Wikipedia or you know, Forbes magazines, learning about what other companies are doing or reading actual AI books or Eric Topol or you know, other physicians in AI. Um, I, I take, similar to what you would do in medicine where if you don't know a subject, you go and learn about it. I do, I apply that same kind of initiative to AI because I feel very much like a newbie in this field too. Um, and sometimes I do have a, a bit of an imposter syndrome, syndrome, especially at like conferences and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, leaning into that and, and being okay, knowing that I'm new at it and also, you know, em embracing that, but also finding opportunity in that, um, makes it less intimidating to pick up a book and be like, okay, I'm still trying to figure out what API means or what, you know, whatever these terms were or CSV, you know, like two years ago, I would have never been able to say those terms. And here we are, I can like actually speak at length about them. So like any new language or any new, you know, educational experience, it just takes like the first step. Um, so I'd say like, if you're not in the field, please don't be intimidated by it because if I can do it, you probably can do it. Just, you know, find someone to mentor you or, or, you know, start by picking up a book or reading about, reading about it another way online. Um, could you talk a little bit more about, maybe you, you mentioned that like you would learn about AI in the same way you would learn about medicine. Oh, what are some like other philosophies or commonalities have you, that you found between AI and medicine? Um, you know, I, I think like any, any skill set, you know, you, especially any certain discipline, you know, and particularly in medicine, like you never want to feel like you're the total master of your craft. I feel like the day that you think that you know everything is kind of a scary day, you know, because there's always room for learning. There's always room for improvement and things that you probably don't even realize you don't know. Um, and so, I, you know, I think in that regard, AI is the same way. And I think what's really exciting about AI is um, 
AI, particularly in medicine, like we we're just like at the tip of the iceberg, I think, for what applications and what that's going to mean moving forward. And so I think there's so much um, kind of uncharted territory there. And I think it's such a great opportunity to publish within it or to read about it, um, you know, because while there may be, quote, experts out there, like the expert may not even know that they're the expert yet. Like they may not even be in the field. And that's what's so exciting, I think, about this almost like uncharted territory and field. Um, and so I see a lot of overlap in medicine for that reason, because while we've come leaps and bounds over the last centuries, you know, millennia in medicine, um, you know, I think we're kind of at the start with AI. And um, that is also very exciting. Um, and, and so I think, I think having humility moving forward, both in medicine and in AI, is is a is a really important aspect as a learner, um, but also as a contributor to to both sciences. So, sort of moving on more to kind of the diversity aspect, can you talk a little bit about representation in your life that like personally inspired you in AI and medicine or in general? Um, I have a mentor at UC Irvine. That's why I went back to train there um, for a fellowship, Dr. Chris Fox, um, who, you know, while he's not in, in artificial intelligence, has been so um, fundamental in, in my career because even if he doesn't know about something, he, he always thinks to say, hey, this opportunity sounds like something Chanel would like, or hey, I heard about this experience or this paper, like, would you want to be on it? And I think you know, in, in the same way, there are several other mentors I can think about. Um, Dr. Noble's been one too, whose career, like careers I just really admire. You know, I, I admire the way that they kind of go after, you know, their passions or the, their beliefs within medicine. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, I, I think just in, in terms of like moving forward and representation, I think finding mentors that really maybe it just comes down to knowing you personally, but knowing what makes you tick, or maybe you think you're really good at CS, but maybe, you know, you have a, you don't even realize that you have it like a knack for something else. So I think being open to both being molded, but also to receiving feedback in terms of, Hey, maybe my mentor's onto something. Maybe he see, he or she sees something in me that I don't even realize I'm good at, or that I don't even realize that I like. Um, or maybe they provide you with an opportunity that you, you otherwise would have not necessarily looked at or taken. Um, I think that is, is a really big part of it. And I think there is no such thing as a failed experience or, you know, a bad experience because knowing what you don't like is just as important as knowing what you do like. Um, and while I don't work every day in ultrasound, I did a whole fellowship in it, you know, that experience has played significantly into my experiences as a CMO of this company. And so I think just being open to, to molding and, and shaping your career around a variety of experiences and people and influences um, can help you kind of come into your own. Yeah, uh, kind of along the same vein, what is your message to youth from groups in AI? What is your message to people who may not see themselves represented in AI, CS, or medicine right now? And what motivation would you give to the people who are maybe afraid to make the first step? I think talking to, you know, a mentor or a friend, um, or even someone a little bit further along in, let's just say CS, or, you know, their undergrad degree, or 
their medical degree, um, you know, seeing if they have any advice. A, a lot of my career decisions have been based on suggestions or um, recommendations from other friends or colleagues. And then some of it has just been from experience, like, you know, trying to shadow an anesthesiologist and realizing that's not really for me. And then figuring out I belonged more in emergency medicine. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any wasted experience. Um, you know, so if you're volunteering for something now and you realize that's not really my jam, I don't really like it, that's okay. Just cross off the list and try something new or different next time. So I think if you're, if you're not an AI and you're thinking, you know, maybe I do belong in that, um, pick up a book, go on a website, you know, ask someone who is in it what it's about. Um, I think part of that experience is, you know, we as we grow in our careers and in our educations is learning to take initiative as a learner um, and kind of making your experiences your own, but also tailoring it to you as an individual. Yeah, so I know that you didn't come from the computer science field, but just for, I think the same stigma that applies to CS that only maybe geniuses can pick it up, maybe applies to medicine since you have to have a really good GPA, you need to be good at your classes. So what words of encouragement can you give to people who want to pursue some really challenging field, but maybe are unsure of their own skills? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I would be the first to tell you, um, you know, test taking has always intimidated me. And, you know, even to this day, there are times where I, I stand in a room and I feel very much like an imposter. Um, you know, are there always going to be those outliers that are going to be like the geniuses of their fields and class? Like, yes, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you can't contribute. Um, but also, I wouldn't let that Im impede any opportunity that you have. There is nothing that beats hard work. You know, if, if you want to do something, you put your mind to it, you know, dream it, do it, um, you know, make it happen. And, and hard work is, is, I'd say, 90% of the effort. You know, if, if you're not born with the right resources or skills, um, you know, I think one of the greatest parts about America is that there are opportunities. You just need to know where to look for them. And sometimes that comes from a mentor's recommendation or just from like looking online or from the recommendation of a friend. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a really big believer in, in kind of moving forward and, and taking advantage of opportunities that are in front of you, but also working really hard at it. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that it, it's not something you shouldn't be in or should, like shouldn't do. Anything worth having um, is going to be hard work. You know, sometimes people see you only at the end of the, the end of the career or the start of your career or the end of the, <laughs> the end of the decade long amount of education and work that I've put in and they say, oh, you know, you made it look easy, but they weren't there on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights and the missed holidays, you know? And so all of that is hard work. And um, that's true for any specialty, any career, you know? And, and so just because it's hard, don't shy away from it. And just because it, you're not initially good at it also doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be there. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, honestly, hopefully someone listens to this because I feel so unqualified all the time. And that was why your, your advertisement caught my eye. Cause I remember, I mean, even taking this job, I felt so unqualified. So, um, here we are a year later. So <laughs> you never know what'll happen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of you belong in AI. 
The You Belong in AI podcast is made possible by UCLA ACM AI Outreach. Again, my name is Arjun Subramonian, and today my co-host is Maya Rahman. Today we interviewed Dr. Chanel Fischetti. The questions you heard in this episode were contributed by our wonderful ACM AI Outreach officers, Maya Rahman, Kai Toda, Nisha McNeilis, Alman Oberoi, Jason Jewick, and Matt Ruiz. Furthermore, the podcast is edited by Jason Jewick. The music you hear in this podcast is composed by Kevin McLeod and is called Cheery Monday. I'm Dr. Chanel Fischetti, and thanks for listening to You Belong in AI. Be sure to tune into the next episode, and don't forget, You, you Belong, belong in, in AI. AI.